Our scripture reading this morning, I ask you to turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, we'll be reading from verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 6. If you don't have the Bible with you, our ushers do have Bibles available. Raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. While you're looking there, I'll remind you that this evening I hold in my hand questions that I've gotten from our question box that's right in our lobby, excuse me, in our foyer, uh, right behind, uh, in a foyer on the side of the sound booth. You'll see a, uh, actually a slot, a mail slot there that you can put in questions, Bible questions. And on Sunday evenings, we'll take some time to answer these questions. So we go through one or two or sometimes we may get through more on a Sunday evening and we'll get to your question eventually. So you might want to come and listen in on some of the questions that are answered and some of the discussion that follows after that question. So we, we uh, look forward to doing that on Sunday evenings and we'll be doing that tonight as well. Let's please stand with me now in respect to the reading of God's word. First John chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 6 that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture. <coughs> our second in our series, our new series in 1 John, be covering this section today. Let's bow now for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come here today, for having a building where we can come and worship you and have people who have a heart to serve you right in this city. We pray for our testimony that as it goes out today, it, be, it will be strong, that you would use it to bring others to be saved, to be born again, they might see the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to your word today, Lord, so that we might see Jesus and who he is. We might live out that impact of him in us in our everyday lives. We pray for those who are uh, struggling today with sickness and health, or struggling in other ways with death and hardship and grief. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with your people, you would minister to them, and we would look to you as our deliverer. Not the things of this world, whether it is substances <coughs> or any other thing, but that we will find our salvation, our solace in you, in you alone. We pray that you would bless this service, our understanding, the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Choir. Thank you, Aaron, for expressing that worthy praise, what salvation does to us. The impact of Christ's work in our life is to set us free free from sin. We continue today in our series in 1 John. This is our second part of this series, and we will start in chapter 1. Last week was an introduction of the whole book, so let's start right from the beginning. In fact, it starts with these words, that which was from the beginning. He's not actually talking about the beginning of Jesus' life. There is no beginning to Jesus' life. He's eternal. He's talking about his beginning, the beginning of his experience in getting to know who this Jesus is. John is the last surviving apostle. All the other apostles have died. More correctly, they've been killed. None died a natural death. 
They were killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were chosen by Jesus to be a witness of his life, to be a witness of his miracles, miracles, a witness of his death, a witness of his life after death, a witness of his going up into heaven. And in Acts, he says, you are my witnesses. Now I want you to go and speak this gospel to the whole world. And that they did. And John was the last of those special chosen ones. Now I know it's people today who call themselves apostles. But apostle, a true apostle was one who lived in Jesus' time and saw Jesus, was taught by Jesus, saw his life, experienced the various things about his life, and then was appointed by Jesus to go and speak to others. John was the last remaining of those. He wrote this and his other books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. He wrote those in the last years of his living here. And he is using the apostolic we, or our. He is a part of that group. And he's saying, that which was from the beginning, he had personally experienced, Experienced Jesus. He had the most complete knowledge and experience of Christ. We mentioned last week he was part of the inner circle of the apostles. Not just the apostles, but the inner circle of the apostles. He was one who Jesus took aside privately in, we call that, that Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus showed him some things that other apostles didn't see. So he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have are touched with our hands. Verse 2, we have seen it. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. <coughs> So he is part of that unique group. And he's the last remaining member. And you can tell that John is writing to a group that has been impacted by false teaching, false apostles. And he's saying, look, I'm the true one. And I'm the last true one in that group. And in essence, the Holy Spirit is using him to say, pay attention. Don't listen to false teaching that goes apart or away from what God has revealed in his word and through his people. The other thing I want you to get here is his experience himself. Now, though he's an apostle, he's breaking down an experience of getting to know God that we can share as well. 
And I want you to picture it this way. He says, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands. I picture there a progressive experience of something. And like most things, I'm going to put this to you in the way of food. All right? I want you to picture yourself at the buffet line. Right? You're at the back of the line, and you're waiting to get up to where the food is served. We can relate to that. I was at a wedding for my niece yesterday, and there at the reception, you know, they called different tables, and oh, we must have had probably 35 to 50 tables. I don't know how many tables it was, but my table was soon called, and there we are approaching the line. That which we have heard of. It's kind of like you hear about something from a distance. You've seen people walk around with their plates and you think it's good and, and you got a kind of idea that, hey, this is, this is going to be all right. So you kind of hear from a distance. And John did the same thing that we did do is that at some point we are exposed in some way to who Jesus is. We hear of him. And in fact, we live in a kind of culture and society that most people in Milwaukee, most people, in fact, in America have at least heard of Jesus. But that doesn't mean they know him and they have experienced him. As I was approaching that buffet line, it wasn't good enough for me to hear about how good the food was. He said that which we have heard of which we have seen, and now he takes another step. He's saying, look, I didn't just hear about it. I, 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 I could see it for myself. John was one who had seen Jesus for himself. But he takes it another step further. That which we have heard, which we have seen, as you're walking up that buffet line, you can smell it, can't you? You heard about it, you can see it, you, you, you can see it, and it says that which we've looked upon. I get the picture here. You're not only seeing now, now you're starting to make a selection. You're getting close enough to say, you know, that's the kind of meat I want, all right? That's the dish I want over there. I want those vegetables. Oh, no, maybe not. I'll just get two pieces of meat. <laughs> So that which we have seen, now I'm looking on. I'm looking more intently. There is an increase now of, of, of intensity. I'm not just a casual observer. I'm looking up close. This is what God does when he draws a person to himself. You hear about this, and oftentimes we hear about it, and we just kind of fluff it off. A lot of people, most people have heard, oh, that's that church thing. I, yeah, okay, man, that's cool for you. I heard about it. But now I, 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 I've seen it. I've, I've, I've kind of gotten a little close, and now I've looked upon it. There's a glaze. There is a search. There is a, an analysis of it. I'm beginning to see it closely for the first time. Jonathan says, that which we have looked upon, and then he takes that last step, and have touched with our hands. Ah, he's gotten real close to the buffet now. His plate is full. And he's going back to his table. And he's going to experience this personally. Hmm. 
The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, we can't taste from a distance. <laughs> you got to draw close. And that's the picture that John is getting here. He says, I have fully experienced Jesus, and I want you to also. Have you just heard about him? Have you seen from afar? Have you looked up close? Have you handled and touched? Then he says this, of the word of life. Concerning the word of life. In his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. <coughs> word <coughs> is a communication. It's a unique communication, isn't it? It's a communication that only human beings use. Animals don't communicate in it. I know we have parents that can say, a, they can verbalize something, but it's another thing to, to actually understand and to speak back. If you have a parent and you say something, he may repeat it. But if you ask him a question, he repeats the same thing that you said. He hasn't learned anything in terms of communication. You ever talk to somebody like that? How you doing? I got to go to school today. What you going to eat? I got to go to school today. How you feeling? I got to go to school today. Um... You okay last week? I got to go to school today. Uh, I don't think we're getting very far. I got to go to school today. <laughs> if they keep communicating, keep saying the same thing back, it's not really communicating, isn't it? Jesus is called the Word. He is the communicating, the communication of God to man. He is relating who God is and what he has to say to man. And he's called the word of life. What he communicates to those who are willing to listen is life. This is the aspect of his earthly reign as he's come as Savior. But I want to remind you, it's not just the word of life. If you look at Revelation, he opens his mouth and he communicates a whole different thing there. It's the word of death. It's a word of judgment. He is both life and death. Grace and judgment. But John says to him, I want you to see this aspect that he came for as concerning the word of life. <coughs> he also says about Jesus, we shouldn't make light that John quickly and commonly ties Jesus to the Christ. And that's very important. We say Jesus Christ because the one and the same, and often we don't think about how that that's not received by the world who doesn't believe. They simply see Jesus as a human being. They don't see him as a savior appointed by God over his creation who has come to save his people. 
the Messiah. But John sees him there. He says he was with the Father in verse 2. The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it and, 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 and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. Jesus eternally lived. He was, in fact, with God. He also points out what we've been speaking about before is that this life for us to get to know, it has to be made manifest. The word manifest means to reveal, to make something known, to uncover it. Jesus is going to be uh, uh, understood and received by those to, to whom he has been revealed, to whom the covers have been taken off so that they can see. In other words, we're blind, or more correctly, it's like we have blinders on until God removes those blinders we do not see. Until he takes our blindness away, we cannot see what should be obvious to be seen. <coughs> so it's God who made manifest this Jesus. The purpose of this, he said, that you too may have fellowship with us. With us, again, I mentioned John is setting, setting himself with those true apostles. And he's saying, yes, I'm in a unique status, but I want you to know that you can have the same fellowship that I had with this Jesus, and I want you to have it. I'm not trying to throw this thing as being exclusive. I want you to get to know Jesus like I knew him. In verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 5. Well, let me just break down the, the, the this is the uh, framework that I'm working in. Verses 1 through 4, we have the word of life. In verse 5, we have the message simply stated. And in verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 5, we have the message expounded. The message simply stated in verse 5 is this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I'm going to say it one more time, and then I want you to say it after me. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Can you say that with me? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Once more, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's the message simply stated. And it's a profound message. He spends the rest of the time expounding that message telling us what that message means to us in our own personal lives. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So he expounds that message, verses 6. Let's just start with the first part of that, verse 6 through 9. <coughs> there are five conditional statements that help expound this simple message. I want you to consider the following conditional phrases. What we mean by conditional, conditional means if this, then this. 
This thing is conditioned on the first thing. If you have this, you will have this. Or if you have this and you got this, then something ain't right. So he wants us to consider these statements. There's five of them in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Let's consider the first one, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Just as the message is simple and very clear, the first conditional statement is very simple and very clear. John is very straightforward. He learned that from Jesus, who's very straightforward. He wants you to know the truth and be clear about it. The truth is, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The first statement that goes along with that is, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice the part that if we say, he's talking about to a, a group of people who say, who profess, but don't live out. And that's always a huge group. It's usually a bigger group than the true believers. And John is saying, look, I, I'm going to divide this. I'm going to break it down. I'm not just saying everybody is cool, everybody's right. If you say this, but don't walk this way, you're not a part of the true believers. And the way he says that is this. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. He makes it very clear. We lie and do not practice the truth. Now, you ask John to get a little more specific, won't you? Well, he will as we go throughout his epistle. What he's making clear is that the gospel transforms our lives. And we cannot be the same. <clears throat> those who profess the gospel and don't actually possess the gospel say one thing and live another. Those who are transformed by the gospel show a change in their lives. So if we say we have fellowship with him, a walk in darkness, he says we lie and do not practice the truth. The next statement is in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's saying there, if we walk in the light, there's two things we have, fellowship and cleansing from sin. They go hand in hand. If we're walking in the light, then we have fellowship with, with other people who are walking in the light, and we have a cleansing from our sin. The third statement, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's verse 8. Then verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think I can help us understand those verses as we walk through something here that that seems obvious to me in this section in 1 John. It's what I call sin and sin synonyms. Sin and sin synonyms. A synonym is another name for a word or a word that has the same meaning as another word. So we have sin and other names for sin. Starting at verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to mark out the names, the sin and the synonym for sin. All right? I want you to walk through with me. First, let's read it. Starting at chapter 1, verse 5, and I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 6. As I read, just think of the names for sin. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to point my finger when I hit him, all right? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, and but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him truly The love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right. I counted 13. (coughs) In these verses, 13 names for sin or a sin synonym. In verse 5 is darkness. A couple times there, actually. So I missed one. Probably 14 now. In verse 6, there's darkness. In verse 7, sin. Verse 8, sin. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 9, sin. Verse 9, sin again. Verse 9, unrighteousness. Verse 10, sinned, the verb, past tense. Chapter 2, verse 1, sin. Chapter 2, verse 1 again, sin. Chapter 2, verse 2, sins, plural. Chapter 2, verse 2 again, sins, plural. Chapter 2, verse 4, does not keep his commandments. Sending them for sin, long one. All right, ultimately, this shows that (laughs) our biggest issue is a sin problem. The Bible talks greatly about sin. 
People today don't want to hear you talk about sin. In fact, we say, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Well, ultimately, it is who God, God that judges you, in other words, condemns you. But the, the, the fact of judging, in other words, viewing and seeing your sin as sin, everybody does that and should do it. Call it what it is. The Bible talks about S-I-N. Man, man's prominent problem is a sin problem. The answer then to that problem is a Jesus answer. He is saying we have a serious issue with sin that we cannot get over by ourselves. Now going back to these five conditions in verses 6 through 10. Let's give you 5 through 10 in chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says their true fellowship means that we have turned from practicing sin. The second statement, we walk in light. We have two things, fellowship and cleansing from sin. This is not just a one-time thing, but a continuum. So God's work in our lives brings us cleansing from the punishment of sin, but also that, that term we call sanctification is he cleanses us along the way as well so that we won't stay and live and get stuck in sin. You know, we, we, we like to say, oh, you know, these, these Christians, they, they just righteous people, they just clean people, as if a person who's clean just remains clean and never has to brush their teeth, never has to shower, never has to put on deodorant. You go, oh, you just clean. There's a process to that, and the process is the cleansing blood of Jesus. He cleanses us once and for all from the judgment of sin, but he continues to clean us daily so that we might be able to come and worship. And the word here is fellowship with him. Commune with him. You don't want nobody hanging out with you that ain't right. Jesus cleanses us so that we can fellowship with him. That's what he intends for us to do. And if he's saying, you want to hang with me, but you don't want my cleansing, you, I'm sorry, you can't hang. Then he says this, if you don't think you need my cleansing, you, you can't hang either. <clears throat> so he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. John was dealing with a group of folks, excuse me, who some claimed perfection. They were at an elite level where they, they didn't sin anymore. No such thing, is it? There's no such thing. And he makes it clear. There are people today, that's why we talk about God's judgment. 
it's, it's strange you talk to people and they think, well, you know, I might get saved one day, but I really don't need to. I'm all right right now. And we have to expose that to say, no, you're not all right in your own self and in your own sin. Sin is not a popular term today. People don't want to talk about it and want to stay away from it as much as possible. But you notice here, as a part of the gospel, it's a prominent term. And we need to stay with it. Last week I talked about this term of being born again and how important that, that phrase was and Jesus used it. And here we talk about this concept of sin. Nobody wants to deal with it today. You know, <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the scientific world, there's an attempt to explain everything apart from God as if, you know, if, if you got to use God to explain it, then, then it doesn't have reason or, or, or logic or it's not, it, it's not scientific, which is nonsense. Science is the knowledge, the, the discovery of truth. Truth is God's truth. <laughs> you don't get it apart from God. You didn't make up. You didn't make up the law of gravity. You didn't make up any of that. You understood from what is how things function. In the therapeutic world, there's an attempt now to discuss everything and explain everything apart from the spiritual and God's work. In fact, they put a bad term. I don't even like the term, but they use it in a negative sense. There's conversion therapy. That you believers think if a person gets saved, and that, that fixes their trouble. <laughs> what they mock is the work of God and the need for that work. As if they can make everything good on their own. I want to ask you, how, how's it going? How you doing with that? How's that working out? Oh, we got drugs for this and drugs for that. You haven't fixed a thing. Haven't fixed a single thing. That's because we ignore this issue, the sin problem. Jesus says you must be born again because you have a sin problem and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God with that sin there without it dealt with. And John says here, don't ignore the sin problem. Don't act like it doesn't exist. Don't act like you don't have sin and that you in your own right can fellowship with God as you are. None of us can. None of us can. John makes that clear. If you say, if we say, if, if any of us were to say this, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. We lie. He's including himself. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus is how cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, again, any of us, including myself, if any of us say we have no sin, what is he saying? We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, now we're getting somewhere. 
admit and acknowledge. What is sin, by the way? It begs the definition, doesn't it? It's a violation against God. A violation of God's principles in thought, word, action, or inaction. Not merely a mistake. I got caught up or this happened to me. Sin, I mentioned that, is is a direct violation uh, against God. The psalmist says, against you have I sinned. Against you only have I sinned. He saw what he had done as against, against God. The world says today, if we could just eliminate that concept, we could free ourselves of guilt. You got a problem. There's guilt because we are guilty. That's what it's from. We have violated God. He built us in such a way that <coughs> when, when we need his work, he won't let us feel like we can go on and not have it. We need his cleansing. The good thing is that he provides that cleansing for us. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is good. In chapter 2, he begins to break down how this cleansing happens. I like what he says in verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things so, to you so that you may not sin. He said, there's an issue here. And it's not just a cultural of that time. It's, it's, it's humankind. I'm writing this so that you will not live in sin. Will not practice sin as a regular thing. He says, but if anyone does sin, don't you like that? He's not making an excuse for sin, but he's saying God has made a provision for sin, not an excuse, a provision. <coughs> he knew that we are sinners and we need his provision. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, one who acts on our behalf and has special access to and relationship with the Father so that what he desires, the Father gives. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Have you ever thought about, you know, we, we do a, a, a lot of job searches. We have different uh, uh, online um, instruments that will, will help us, you know, put up our resume and, and get a job. Uh, um, uh, where, you know, you can go on, a, on for a job search. Have you ever tried to, to get a job as advocate? What would be the qualifications for that? What would be some of the gifts and abilities that's needed for that kind of a job? Well, first of all, you'd have to have a special relationship to bridge these folks to this group or that folk. So you'd have to have special relationship with this one right here so that he actually listens to you. 
and wants to hear what you got to say and will bend his ear and do what you ask him to do. And then access with these folks here where they're willing to go your way and, and, and listen so that you can be connected. He says, we have that advocate with the Father. And here is Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's important because he does not have that sin issue that we have. He is the righteous one. He's able to advocate for us to God the Father so that our sins can be taken care of. And he says, how does that happen? I'm not going to keep it a secret from you, he says. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one and only acceptable payment for our sins. Nothing else will satisfy God except what Jesus comes with. What does he come with? He comes with, Father, I am your son. I am the sinless, perfect one. And I lay down my life for their sin, for those who would trust in me. He says, Father, receive my death, my pain, my blood, my suffering as payment for their sin. And God says yes. You know how you know God said yes? Because on the third day, he, raised, he was raised from the dead. No other person can claim that they are an advocate for God and they qualify, first of all, these are qualifications, sinless. Eliminates everybody. Next qualification, power of life and death. Eliminates everybody. Next qualification, a special fellowship and love with the Father so that you can complete the task that he requires and he accepts that. Eliminates everybody. That includes Satan on down to the lowest, uh, from from Satan on down to, to any other sinner. All of us are excluded. That's why in heaven it says, who's worthy to open the seals? Worthy is the lamb. He's the only one worthy. He's the advocate. And so it says here, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> he makes this statement. I want to I make sure we understand this. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ, the advocate for sins for all sin, for all sinners, any who will come to trust in him. That doesn't mean that all sinners automatically get this. It means that the only way to get it is through Jesus because anybody in the world, if they're going to have their sins forgiven, he's the only one. He's not just the one for his special people. He's the only one for any people. He's the only avenue. Jesus said it this way, I am the door. I am the way. There's no other way except through him. So the whole world has to come through him and through him alone. That's why I have no problem. People say, well, you know, this is religious stuff. Y'all believe one thing. Y'all believe another thing. And it doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. God is one God. He's not, we want to think, picture God with the different faces and you can walk in any door and you can worship God. No, you can't. In fact, in the whole epistle that John is writing here, he says, look, 
if you're not worshiping the God who has Jesus as his son and Jesus' blood as a payment for sin, you are not worshiping God. This is the true one. He says, this is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. Anyone in the world who needs sins propitiated for has to come through Jesus. There's no other way. Verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Again, he's making that connection. You can't say that you're part of him and you come to know him if your life hasn't been transformed. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, we've pointed out that phrase, does not keep his commandments. That's another synonym for sin. Does not keep his commandments. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar. Do you notice this, this emphasis on saying throughout this whole passage? There are people who say, they, they, they think that they can simply say things and they're true or tr- change the truth for them. <coughs> John makes it clear, no. If you're not born again, it's not just what your words say, it's what your life shows. What is the fruit of of your life. You can plant a seed and let it sprout up and I see little green sprouts and leaves or leaves come on and they're green and, and you can tell me that this is an apple tree. And I'll tell you it's a tree. When I see the apples, I'll say it's an apple tree. Those who profess and they're saying this and they're saying that, but they got no fruit to show who they are that verifies them for what they say. John is simply saying, here's the fruit. Here's how you'll know. This is what the apple looks like. How does it look like? What does it look like? Verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's the apple. Keep his commandments. So you want to say, I know him, I know him, I know him. I said, man, I don't see the apple. I'm not seeing the fruit. Now, I'm not making that up. You know, God is gracious to say, I'm going to show that to you so you won't keep walking across the same wrong path and thinking that you're something when you're not. Remember we said that one of the reasons, one of the purposes John had in writing his book is to give tests by which people can see if they line up or not and to make those who are comfortable uncomfortable when they don't line up so they can match up the way they need to and to make those who are weak in their faith stable and confident in the fact that it's Jesus who pays for my sin. He is the propitiation. And when he does that, my life does begin to line up with him. Look what he says as he goes on. 
Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. You know what that word perfected means? It grows and it matures. The love of God is growing and maturing in their lives. Doesn't mean one without sin or perfect. He's made that case before. No one can say they have no sin. But he's saying perfected means matured. Growing, developing the way that it should. We talk about that little plant. It doesn't stay little. It begins to grow and expand. And the, the, the more it grows, the more I can see what it truly is. Perfected. God's love is being matured in us. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And then that last part of that verse, verse 5 through verse 6, last part of the message I call the message summarized. So we have the word of life. We have the message simply stated in chapter 1, verse 5, and that is this. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we have the message expounded, what that means five statements given there. And now we have the message summarized. Here's the summary. The last part of verse 5 and all of verse 6, chapter 2. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He summarizes his message. God is light. Those in him will be light. There is no darkness at all. Those in him will not walk and continue to walk in darkness. That means we have absolutely no sin? He said, no, no, no. He said, but what do you do with sin? You confess it. And you turn it over to the Lord Jesus. And what does he do? He forgives us and he cleanses us. And he's in that process of perfecting his love in us, making us more and more mature or more and more like him. That's the process that he's working on in us. There is a sin issue that we cannot ignore in our lives. As Christians, we deal with it daily. This process of confessing our sin is not just a once in a while thing. When was the last time you confessed your sin to the Lord? Think about that. Then I'm going to ask you another question. When was the last time you sinned? That's very recently. That's very recently. Now, I don't know what the answer to that first question was. But those two need to match up a little more, don't you think? It's not that hard. You have a Savior who has provided all for you. And what he says to you, simply confess to him. Recognize that he's light. In him is no darkness at all. He provides for the forgiveness, the cleansing for our sin that we need. Acknowledge your sin to your Savior today. Acknowledge your need for the Savior. 
Thank God for your Savior and the provision that God makes. Confess to him. Receive his cleansing. Receive his forgiveness. Walk in his forgiveness. Father, we thank you for your word. Minister to our hearts wherever we are in our need. Point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to see him, to accept him, to trust him, to believe in him, to love him, to worship him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service today, my wife and I will come to the back. That's so that we can greet you. We enjoy just having a time to say hi to greet you. It's also time if there's a pressing need in your life that you can talk to me, you can talk to one of our leaders, whether it's the men or their wives, and set a time where you can have us come and pray with you, speak with you, share with you how God is working and can be uh, minister to you in your life. And we pray that you would um, you take advantage of that. So what we're going to do is spend just a moment to reflect and meditate on God's word tonight or today. Close in a word of prayer and uh, close our service from a word of prayer in the back. Donna, would you join me? I said I want you to meditate. Remember that message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Brother Cliff Hill, would you close us in a word of prayer?